Hey, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to week three of Behind the Scenes Consumer Product Marketing. I really want to put a spotlight on consumer product marketing so that we can elevate the space and help us all become stronger consumer product marketers. So with that being said, if you have any feedback, suggestions, or even interested in being on the show, please reach out to us at podcasts at sharebird.com, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn. This podcast is in partnership with ShareBird. ShareBird is a peer mentoring platform. It's a place to discover on-demand resources and help you with your product marketing careers. There are so many great resources on there, a job board, so definitely check it out. On this week's episode, I get to chat with Nora Bowers, who has helped build the product marketing function at Disney Plus from the ground up, starting with the initial launch of Disney Plus, and now helps oversee the ongoing engagement and global expansion. Plus, I am a huge Disney fan, so this was a really big treat for me to get a behind the scenes look at what it takes to orchestrate a massive global expansion. Nora shares with me that when it comes to product launches, it's not about if anything will go wrong. It's a matter of what will go wrong, how big the issue is, and how quickly you can fix it. So Nora is going to share with us what worked, what didn't work, and her tips for how to lead a global expansion. So with that being said, let's dive in and get a behind the scenes look. Hello, hello, and welcome to Behind the Scenes Consumer Product Marketing, brought to you by ShareBird. I'm your host, Meredith Davis, and today we're going to get a behind-the-scenes look at the launch of Disney Plus and what it takes to orchestrate a massive global expansion. Disney Plus is a global streaming service that launched over a year ago back in November of 2019, first in the U.S., Canada, and the Netherlands, and has since expanded to every region across the world. The launch of Disney Plus was a historic moment for the Walt Disney Company and really marked a new era of innovation and creativity across Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, and National Geographic. And just recently, the company revealed its next steps in global streaming expansion at their 2020 Investor Day with new details on their direct-to-consumer service and their target for over 100 new titles per year across their extensive library of beloved content. Global expansion is a really big part of a product marketer's role and a huge undertaking. It takes heavy stakeholder management along with strong messaging guidelines that are then shared out with regional teams. The ultimate key to a strong global expansion comes down to data, user research, and digestible insights that can be shared out to multiple stakeholders in order to help drive marketing and product plans. While leading global expansion, product marketers need to be able to manage both IC level work while keeping their seat at the strategic table. So I'm really excited that we're going to be diving into this topic today. While Disney Plus is still in its early journey, they're definitely at the forefront and leading the way for the future of streaming entertainment, which is why I couldn't be more excited to have Nora Bowers here with us today to give us a behind the scenes look at Disney Plus's global expansion. 
Nora is the director of product marketing at Disney Plus, and before Disney, she led driver expansion at Uber and worked on the product marketing team at Google. It has been an extremely busy year for Nora, with Disney Plus expanding into every major region since launch and has now reached over 100 million paid subscribers in just the first 16 months. And with that, Nora, it is so great to have you on the show. Thanks, Meredith. Super excited to be here and to give a behind the scenes look of Disney Plus and where we are today. I first have to ask you, when Disney Plus launched, what was the first thing you watched? I had to ask. (laughs) Great question. So everyone was super excited about launch. We actually all stayed in the office. It launched at midnight on the West Coast and everyone tuned in to watch The Mandalorian as a team in the office. So that was the first thing consumed. Big surprise with Baby Yoda or the child reveal. And it was off to the races after that. And are you personally a big Star Wars fan? I would say I dabble in Star Wars. I wouldn't <laughs> call myself a Star Wars aficionado, but I do enjoy The Mandalorian. And I think we see a lot of non-Star Wars fans do enjoy it as well. I have to say that when Disney Plus first launched, the first thing I watched was all of the shorts. I oh. hadn't seen some of those shorts in so long. So that was that was a really big treat for me. I, I definitely binged those. Yes. No, love the shorts there. There's a lot more to come, you know, that was announced in the year ahead, but I think people do enjoy those and they're manageable to, to sort of binge on. So fun, <laughs> fun thing to dive into. Awesome. Okay. Well, I want to kick this off by hearing a little bit about how you got into product marketing. You have an interesting background. While you've been in product marketing for such a long time now, it seems, interestingly enough, you started your career out as an analyst. Product marketing is not um, a one-size-fits-all journey, so would love to hear how you even discovered the role of product marketing. Yeah, I wish I had, you know, answer to say I thought it all out and this was my dream and, and right. that's how I got here, but the reality is I, I fell into it and honestly, it took me several years and, and even when I got into the role to really understand the diverse scope of what product marketing can mean and be at different companies or organizations. So I was working in investment banking in New York. I was really ready to leave New York and was working on transferring to the West Coast with with them. But I had a friend who had interviewed for a role, a product marketing role at Google and said she thought I might be a good fit. They were looking for people with banking and consulting experience. So I went through the interview process, somehow got the job. I, I honestly didn't even know what product marketing was at the time, but I thought, you know, working at Google sounded more fun than an investment (laughs) bank. So made the move and, you know, since then have gotten great experience in really different product marketing roles. I started out working on small, medium business marketing for AdWords at Google. That was my first foray into product marketing. So that was super data-driven, scalable, automated marketing. I then worked on Google's first Wi-Fi router launch. So dabbled in hardware marketing, product marketing there, then worked on internet access and emerging markets, and then made the shift actually into B2B when I moved to Uber, working on Uber for business. I then went and worked on the Uber driver app and now a Disney Plus. So I think through that, I, you know, I've learned a new element of what product marketing is and can be, you know, in all of those roles and helped identify what it is that, that I love about the field. And I think the thing that I, I am constantly reminded of is just how dynamic product marketing is. And that's something I do truly love about it because every new company or organization you dive into, you're going to get a new experience or, or new way to think about the role, which is something that's that you can't say for every type of you know career or profession. I got to say out of all of the roles you've had, 
this Disney plus role has got to be the most fun. Are you having so much fun? It, it is super fun. It's my first foray into the entertainment world. So it's a hybrid of, you know, my tech experience and background and, and all things entertainment. And, it, you know, it's super fun. It's something that it's a product working on a product that everyone loves. It brings joy to people, especially during COVID when people have been locked down. And so, you know, that's super fun to work on every day. And something you said before is that, you know, product marketing is different at every company and even every role that you've been at. And you have had the unique opportunity to be one of the first product marketer at Disney. And so what does product marketing look like for your team? Like how would you define product marketing at Disney Plus? Yeah, so I think it's really shifted and evolved uh, as we figured out, you know, what is the role of product marketing within Disney and Disney streaming? We've really, you know, at launch, it was super focused on getting those foundational insights together and, you know, global messaging ready to go. From there, it's really shifted and evolved to our engagement strategies and making sure that subscribers are happy and want to, you know, see value in the platform. But I think from, you know, core product marketing, we're really responsible for owning our global product and feature positioning, our international expansion and launch readiness, and then our feature and content go to market as well as partnership marketing experience. So we really are the shepherd of sort of the the end-to-end customer experience, making sure they have a seamless understanding of what they're going to get with Disney Plus. We deliver on that once they come in and, and they stay happy and engaged on the platform. I've never heard the analogy, but I love what you said about really shepherding the customer experience. And I think that really stems from initial research and coming to the table with with insights and data to back things up. And so I want to kind of go backwards a little bit and talk about the even like before the initial launch of Disney Plus, because I know that you were really on the that initial launch team and just a few months before joining. So take me back to last fall. How were you feeling jumping into this new role and having very little ramp up time before leading this launch? Yeah. So we had a lot of great research that was underway. You know, my, my boss who had come in would really identified the need for a product marketing function within the organization had started that work. So I, I came into some of that research. And so it was really about taking those insights and, and making sure that we got, you know, cross-functional alignment and a shared customer understanding of here's who we think our subscribers are, here are what we anticipate to be the big challenges in the market and and with our launch, and here is how we need to craft the positioning to counteract that. I can be specific there. I think one of, we really understood that there's the segment of, of people who are, who are Disney or Disney um, franchise fans. So, you know, Marvel enthusiasts, Star Wars enthusiasts, we knew with our low price point, we would do really well with that audience. Where we needed to really focus was on this more general streamer audience. So maybe the people you think of as the Netflix subscribers who really just want a lot of content and they want, you know, more aged up content. And so how did we really show them the breadth and depth of content that was within Disney plus. So came into that and, and really started from there of just getting that shared understanding, building out their tools and resources to help teams deliver on that in a consistent way globally across all channels. And then it really was into execution mode of just saying, What are all the things we have to do to get this um, service launched and launched successfully without dropping the ball on anything? So it was a really busy um, first couple of months, to say the least. (laughs) I, I can imagine. And 
you know, when you were working on collecting some of these initial insights, what were some of the most kind of like interesting findings for you that helped drive the launch strategy or the messaging? Yeah. So I think a couple things. One, we tested just a bunch of different product positioning, taglines, other things. The thing that really seemed to resonate globally, just showing people the power of the five brands behind Disney Plus and that what Disney Plus means is you get Disney and Pixar and Marvel and National Geographic and Star Wars all in one place was so compelling and and really just helped tell the story for us. So We've leaned into that both from a product experience and how we think experience and how we think about how our content is merchandised on product. We also leaned into it really as across our marketing and branding for launch. The other thing that was, I think, the biggest insight and just looking at from a global perspective is that we really learned that every market has different brand affinities. So, you know, where some markets might be super Disney fans. Other ones might be really big into Star Wars. So figuring out how we lean into that and tailor according to regions to resonate. And then the other piece of it was just also knowing and understanding the different level of sophistication of of streaming in any given market. And that would help us understand also how much do we need to really talk about some of the features or benefits that you know, are kind of assumed to be the case in a developed streaming market like the U.S. and really play those up in certain markets where necessary. You mentioned something really interesting about personas and kind of figuring out who your customer segments were before the initial launch. And you mentioned that you kind of segmented it out into, you know, like Marvel versus Star Wars and kind of those, you know, brand affinities. What were the ways that you formatted these segments and personas for expansion purposes so that it was helpful across, you know, your different teams or different local markets? Yeah. So as we started, we were really looking at this sort of fan, franchise fan versus general streamer piece of it. That was for sort of phase one of launch, which was US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and Netherlands. We then had a ton of learnings about engagement behaviors and other things on the service once launched. So we actually pivoted those segments a little bit and we now focus super heavily on households with kids and then households without kids and and looking at female and male, you know, subscribers or tendencies on those fronts. So we've evolved it, but it was really about across the board talking about as we position and message really speaking to those again and again, those personas and demographics and saying this message resonates with this audience so that people just really internalize those segments. And then we do it now, same with, as we report out on things, it's like, how is this title doing for the households with kids? And how is it doing for households without? And so we have this sort of shared understanding and language now that you know goes all the way up to the, the top of our, of our executive teams. And that really helps us continue to be thinking about how are we building for these subscriber bases and content that's for them. And how does the messaging change with each of these segments and markets? Because, you know, I think from what you shared with me, the overarching story is, or messaging that you share is the best stories all in one place. And that really kind of defines Disney Plus. But how did you begin to leverage these insights as you were getting more engagement and behavioral data in to kind of continue the expansion messaging? Yeah. So our messaging was super launch and launch focused initially, which was really focused on you know, getting subscribers and helping them understand what they were going to get. 
now as we're really focused on engagement, we've had to you know, modify our, and evolve our, our positioning to really think about how do we talk to someone once they're in the service, once we understand maybe where their affinities lie. Um, and so we've, we've continued to evolve. We've built new engagement messaging guidelines to go off of that. And then for each country, we've actually done workshops with each of the sort of major countries to dive in and say, Okay, here's a top level, you know, great stories all in one place or other things, but but you actually when you go to other markets, some of them have versions of that that have been tweaked in really their local communications. And so it was about partnering with the countries as well to say, here's our understanding of your the market fundamentals, our various subscriber bases and global positioning. How might we need to evolve it to make sure we're, you know, we're being culturally relevant, we're being localization relevant for any given market. So it's, it's evolved over time, but I think the next big shift will be as we add in STAR, which will be our general entertainment offering in markets outside the U.S., how that's going to change our, our strategy drastically because we're now going to have content that people don't expect to see on Disney Plus as part of the service. And how do we communicate that in a, in a way that subscribers get it and get excited about it? And so you're working with all of these regional teams to share out the messaging guidelines. How are you threading these messages through the product and UI? Yeah, great question. So you know, we built a set of principles for sort of writing for in product and, and for a global audience. So we try to really stick to those as we're developing in product. Some of our product channels can be more country specific or localized, but a lot of it is really based on what language does a subscriber have set as their preference? And so we have to be mindful of that in product. So what we've done is we, you know, as we workshopped with all the countries on, and understood the pain points and challenges. So for example, we, we lean super heavily into some concepts like throwbacks and binging and streaming, you know, for our phase one launch, as we went out and, and engage with all the country teams, certain things like we learned throwbacks aren't really a thing in a lot of markets. It doesn't translate. Binging does is, binging translate? Binging does not translate, exactly. And even streaming, frankly, there are certain languages where there's just no direct translation for the term or the word. And so we did have to change certain things. And so there are places in product where it's like, okay, instead of streaming, we're going to talk about watching. Or instead of throwbacks, how do we convey that same message and sentiment in a way that obviously isn't going to look like gibberish to someone in a different market. And so we basically took those learnings and had to adapt. We worked with our localization team to work with their localization dictionaries and pull out words that we flagged that were just problematic. And so slowly over time, we've shifted so that our localization system is, is smarter and better from a product perspective and aware of these global challenges and nuances in our wording. I think what you shared is such a good example of like all of the nuances and challenges around a global expansion and things that if you've never gone through one before, all of a sudden are new to you, new challenges. And I think that global expansion can be a bit intimidating to product marketers, especially if you've never navigated them before. So talk me through how you started rallying teams together to think through the plan and strategy for Disney Plus. 
Of course, this varies a lot by company. You know, Disney is a company that has marketing teams in all of the markets where Disney Plus is going to launch already. And so we needed to partner closely with those teams and, and get them the information they needed um, to successfully launch in their markets. You know, that was similar at Uber as well. You, there were already marketing teams in all of the regions and countries where we needed to market globally. There are certain companies where you need to go set up that function and figure out that model. So it definitely varies based on, you know, company and organization structure. But for us, I mean, and what I found across the board is a lot of those teams are super hungry for, for insights and data that they maybe either don't have resources to, you know, research at the, at the country level or they don't have the data and tools to gather those you know, insights. So a lot of it is just, and, and it takes time, you know, just to build the relationships, especially when you can't necessarily travel there, which is some of our challenges in COVID, but to really set up, set up the meetings, help get the shared understanding of the research and insights, and then really partnering with them to say, okay, what can be tailored from a marketing perspective? Obviously the ideal is that everything is custom for a specific market, but most teams don't have the resources to do that. And then there are the technical limitations of, well, you know, the product experience is managed centrally and globally. So there are going to be challenges there. So it's about, I think, getting that shared understanding of insights, setting up those that cadence of meetings for information free for all so that you can identify, okay, is this actually a global challenge we're facing? We need to adapt in our strategy. Or is this sort of one-off country request that doesn't really apply to other regions? And then I think it's about keeping those communication channels open. With launch, there's a million things that change at the last minute, but there are certain things that need to be locked in, you know, by X date. And so the more you can just have those, you know, updates or Slack updates or meetings, whatever that is, to keep the communication channels open, it it is what I found to be, you know, most effective and helps with the global collaboration. What were the three, if you could have like three, you know, like most beneficial channels or meeting cadence or whatever it was to help you organize and continue that feedback loop during your global expansion, what were those top three channels for you? Yeah. So this maybe isn't a channel, but I think a really critical step in the process for us, we, we actually set up, as I mentioned, messaging workshops. So we did them in person with the teams in EMEA. We had to do them remotely as we were leading up to the LATAM launch, but we set up those meetings to really dive in and hear the country's perspective and really understand which of those learnings could we take and, and adapt our global messaging to resonate with those audiences and which ones were going to just be too complicated or there was you know such conflicting feedback from every region that we needed to find a middle ground. So I think that that was like where we really built the trust and the shared understanding. And then I found that we have weekly touch bases with our regions. It was really launch focused at first. It's now looking more at content that's coming down the pipeline. But I think having those meetings, you can't you can't replace a meeting. And then we have Slack channels for more one-off real-time updates. But I think that you, when you're working on a global product, even if it means you know early morning meetings with EMEA or late night meetings with APAC, you you need to figure out the right cadence because you need that face-to-face time to to answer questions and to really get in the local mind space and understanding. How many late night meetings did you have? <laughs> well, thankfully, our our region sort of launched and rolled out together. So I wasn't necessarily in launch mode for, say, EMEA at the same time as, as APAC. So I was able to shift a little bit. It's a big challenge, I think, when you're trying to do 
launch all the regions all at the same time. So my advice would be try to stick to a region so that you can really focus your time and attention and meeting schedule towards that time zone. Right. And even if you align on strategy, you plan up front, you do all the things, the reality is, is that you know, launching something from the ground up, you're going to run into a ton of hiccups and last minute changes and decisions. So what were some of those hiccups for you through this process? Yeah, no, I I always say that with any product launch, it's not a matter of if something goes wrong, it's, you know, how big is it and how quickly can you resolve it? (laughs) Yes. Um, So I think one of our big hiccups that we ran into was actually getting our app store presence ready to go. We had some understanding that we'd have a little bit more ability to to tailor at a country level. And when we got into the systems and doing our uploads into the various app stores, discovered that we maybe couldn't be as granular as we wanted to be. That led to some last minute scrambling because we have different content available on the service in every country we're in. And so there's a legal requirement to you know, make sure what you're marketing in that, in that country is a reflection of the product experience. So going back to what we said about setting the right expectations with consumers is that we can't be marketing that you're going to be able to come to watch the Simpsons on Disney plus, and then you get into the product and realize there's the no Simpsons aren't there. <laughs> That just doesn't fly. So I think that that was one of the biggest challenges we had of just understanding how much granularity we had and ability to target. And so we had to change a lot of things last minute on that front. That's the one that comes was is most painful in my memory still. Uh, <laughs> Where are the Simpsons? And what is a product marketer's role when there are hiccups or changes in timelines with a global expansion? Yeah. And I don't know if it's necessarily a product marketer role, but something that I've gotten, you know, people, good feedback on from different teams is just helping to be a little bit of air traffic control. So really understanding the problem, you know, staying calm about it, trying to think through what are the possible options of how we could address this, you know, how much effort do each of them take? How quickly can we get them done? And really sharing out those options and and recommendation for cross-functional teams. I find that there are a lot of teams that will get super frazzled by this, especially if they haven't dealt with a lot of product launches. And so I think it's just going back to knowing that there are going to be issues and then staying calm, cool and collected and working through them and helping, you know, other teams work through them. So it's one of those skills that isn't necessarily in the product marketers job description or competencies, but I think is a skill that goes a long way as you're managing so many cross-functional stakeholders and so many regions all at once. And now that you've gone through this initial Disney Plus launch, you're now executing on a global expansion. What are some of the key learnings or things that you wish you like knew beforehand or wish you would have done differently? I think one of our one of our big things that I wish we had known, which is so we could plan organizationally and structure-wise, was just actually how successful we were going to be at launch. You know, we got 10 million signups on day one, which was way above expectation. And so we were really in the mindset of, hey, we're going to be in growth and global expansion mode for the next two years. When you have 10 million subscribers, all of a sudden you have to quickly think about engagement and retention. And so I wish we had planned for that a little bit better so that we could have teams really dedicated on both. We ended up having to be pretty reactive on some of the retention things until we could get the right 
team and process set up and working on that front. I mean, a beautiful problem to have, but you must have been just, you know, like drinking from a fire hose, like, oh my gosh, totally (laughs) running around. It was a lot of things we knew we were going to need to do, but we sort of, as is the lead up to launch of, oh, we can deal with that later. That'll be a next year problem. It quickly became a, you know, today problem. So (laughs) I think that that's one piece of it. And then I think the other key learning, I think we built a great process for regional engagement, you know, for our MIA launch and LATAM launches. So I think would have been going back and just sort of figuring out the working model and process a little bit in advance. You know, we we learned a lot through the initial launch and that we could then apply to EMEA and LATAM. But I think there were... We, there's more we could have done and, and things we could have done just to build those relationships faster and sooner that would have paid dividends at the time as well. So what does good and not good look like in that sense? You know, making some assumptions that certain things are going to work globally, not, <laughs> not putting in the time and energy to, to have those conversations and understand, is this word problematic? Is this not going to resonate? You know, I think that in the big the big picture, you know, we got right with the five brands and the other things, but I think as you go down into some of the messaging and below that, there's things where we probably could have just gotten alignment sooner or things that maybe came up as legal surprises or other things from, from certain countries late in the game that we could have prevented by just doing some more of this upfront planning and, you know, resource sharing and development for some of those markets. I think you bring up a really important point and something that I have struggled with before as a product marketer is that when you're managing a go-to-market global launch strategy, sometimes it's easy to get stuck in the weeds of execution and IC work. And I don't know a single product marketer who isn't doing some level of IC work when they're leading a go-to-market. And so how do you manage being deep in the weeds of executing something like this while staying strategic? I I think that's definitely true. I mean, I don't know any product marketers that aren't ICing at some level or <laughs> fully. So I think that that comes a little bit with the the job and that, you know, product marketing's always understaffed and always asked to do and deliver a lot in terms of both strategy and execution. For me, I, I like to, to say we can play high and play low. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I think it's super easy to get bogged down in the execution because those are always the urgent and immediate and important asks. So for me, I think it's really taking a look, whether it's end of the day, end of the week, say, where am I, where's the time gone and figuring out how to, what are the things that maybe were not so important that were brought to me as very urgent matters that I can maybe deprioritize or say, this is going to be addressed later so that you can carve out the time to be in the strategic meetings or have the ability to say, we need to have this meeting with, you know, APAC to align on this. And I just am so exhausted from execution that the thought of having this (laughs) Alignment meeting is, is painful. So figuring out how you can whittle down the things that really truly aren't, you know, important out of your schedule so that you can have the time for those meetings, the headspace for those strategic meetings. And frankly, for a lot of them, you know, just important to get make sure that product marketing has a seat at the table when important business decisions or things are being decided or discussed rather than saying, oh, well, we have to spend all of our time on execution because we have these deliverables. Like you have to find a balance. Otherwise product marketing isn't going to have a seat at the table and, you know, big decisions are going to be made without 
the the customer perspective brought into the fold. And so obviously that's easier said than done. But I think that it's also sometimes a balance of saying, okay, in the month leading up to launch, we're going to have to be super execution deliverables focused. But right after launch, we need to carve out the time to say, here are the you know important strategic priorities that we've either punted on for the time being or need to revisit and making sure you carve out that time immediately after launch to sort of regroup and, and dive deep in those areas that have maybe you know, been temporarily neglected leading up to a launch. I like that. So it's like, be okay with, you know, having these moments of full execution mode and then, you know, give yourself the time to take a step back and relook at that strategy. Yep, exactly. I love that. Okay. So I got to ask, as we talk through, you know, a global expansion is nothing without channel activation. I feel like you're living a marketer's dream with all of the channels that you have at your disposal with Disney hotels, cruises, parks, <laughs> stores, but I'm sure it can be a bit challenging as these are really like new channels for you. Yeah. How, like, talk to me about, you know, these new channels and how you think through like activating them. It definitely is a marketer's dream. And I, I didn't appreciate that at all until I was probably sitting in my role a month before launch being asked to decide what the the TV welcome experience is going to look like at all Disney parks and resorts and cruises at the time of Disney Plus. And you're like, oh my God, what? Yeah, I was like, I thought we just had to do email and in-app messaging. And get push notifications. Program. Exactly. So, you know, so it's awesome, but I think what it, it honestly goes back to a lot of those shared insights and understandings, because frankly, I'm not the expert on any of these channels for that matter, but there are teams that are. And so if you go to them and say, okay, here's what we know about our Disney plus subscriber base or prospective subscriber subscriber base here are the key challenges we're going to face or the key messages we need to deliver to these four audiences, they're then able to say, okay, great, here's how we can make the most of these channels and and really explain what can we do, how can we actually target on these or what have we seen in the past to be most effective. So I think it's really going to them and saying, I'm not the expert here. I think there's an opportunity. Here's what I do know. And then let's collaborate on the best plan or, or process for those channels. Again, all of this takes time and, and, and a big learning curve. But if you do have that shared set of understandings, it can really unlock a lot for those channels too, because they're hungry for these insights. They often don't get them. You know, they're really channel focused. And so they're not looking big picture necessarily leveling that up. And so you can come to them and be a resource and asset to them as well. What has been the most fun channel that you have gotten to activate at Disney so far? Mm, great question. I think the the ability to tap in the park's reach is something super unique. And to be able to have cast members and, and other in-park experiences really, you know, expl- really helping to, to sell the product is incredible and such a fun, fun thing where maybe for say hardware marketing, you're doing that in like a Best Buy or something, and you're trying to get the salespeople to talk about your product in a consistent way. But I think the difference here is that they're truly Disney fans and fanatics and want you know the product to be super successful. And so being able to partner with those teams, I think is something really, really unique and special. Yep, absolutely. And so I think like going back to something that you mentioned before, you know, your team you know, you were expecting to just be completely focused on growth for the next two years. And all of a sudden, you know, you're having to quickly ramp up 
on retention and engagement strategies. How did you think about splitting this work up? Yeah. So again, it wasn't a thing unique to product marketing. I'll say that, you know, our product, our engineering team, sort of everyone was set up to be, you know, growth, growth and expansion focused. So it was a challenge we had to work to solve cross-functionally, which is nice in that you're not the only one in the boat and it's not like everyone else knew what was going on and we missed the memo. So what we had to do and what we've, we've continued to have to do is because it's shared resources really working across the ongoing expansion and rollout and engagement is really similar to what we were talking about of like ebbing and flowing of execution versus strategy. We kind of as an organization had to say, okay, when we're leading up to our, say, Europe launch in March, the month before that is going to be super, super focused on that growth piece of it and making sure all the channels are ready to go, everything's localized, and and we're not dropping the ball there. But then as soon as those engineering and product resources free up post-launch, making sure we have our backlog of what are the key engagement priorities that we've had to put temporarily on hold while we focused on that and bring those up to the front and make sure that we can start working on those you know, immediately. So it takes a lot of planning, making sure that you, even if you aren't getting to the things that you know are big opportunities, you at least have the list and the prioritized list of them so that you can quickly shift into knocking out a few of those really big engagement opportunities before you get back into say the LATAM growth phase. So it's, it's a constant ebb and flow. I, we're, we're getting better. We're getting you know, teams more aligned to these things. And now we are live in every major market. And so we won't have as many of these big waves of expansion, but they will still continue. There's still a lot of markets we, we have to go to. And I think as you expand and any company or brand for that matter, the most important thing is to keep your customer in mind, keep them on the forefront and continue to be an advocate for the customer. And I think time and time and again, we hear this within product marketing, that product marketers are the voice of the customer, be the voice of the customer, VOC. But what does that actually mean in practice? And I think it's a question that I'm constantly asking myself and other product marketers. So like, what is being the voice of the customer actually mean at Disney? At Disney and, and you know, what I've seen at other roles as well is just like deeply, deeply understanding who are our subscribers, what are their behaviors, what are their desires, aspirations, so that when you go make a decision or say you're doing a business engineering trade-off, you're not just making subjective decisions. Oh, we think we should work on this. It's really grounded in, well, if we work on this, we know this will have X, Y, and Z impact on this core, you know, subscriber base or customer base. And I think that really helps you be a more customer-centric organization and and really prioritize that decision-making both off of, of data and trends we see, but really bringing it back to what does it mean for our subscriber base at the end of the day? So I think, and from a product marketer's perspective, for me, I, I get that info. Yes, there's the foundational research that, you know, I talked about that obviously is sort of the foundation for that. But, you know, as we continue to expand, I'm constantly talking to customer service. I'm looking at social listening reports. I'm looking at any new research that our teams are doing, whether it's about a specific title or about just trends in whether it's you know, looking at our NPS scores or looking at our cancellation survey data, trying to really always be consuming that data and figuring out 
when we triangulate that data and, and those insights, how can we really understand what are the potential pain points and challenges that we need to address that are urgent? And then what are the you know untapped opportunities that we're seeing as trends continue or as new information comes in? So I think that's what it is for me. I'm an avid consumer of any research or data report that comes out and always trying to bring that back to those core customer segments and what does it mean for them and what should it mean for our you know product and marketing strategy. And as one of our last questions here before we we wrap up, and I know that, you know, one of your PMM superpowers is really, you know, bringing that data back to product and, and other marketing teams. There are a lot of PMMs who might be intimidated by data or just don't have much experience with, with research. What would be one of your key pieces of advice for a product marketer who's not as comfortable with the research and insights part of the role? I think that for me, it doesn't mean you have to go to the research team and have this great research report you or you want them to run or survey idea. It starts just by consuming what's already out there and starting to draw connections. Because what I've seen is that a lot of you know, teams have really great visibility into one of these vectors. So whether it's customer service deeply understands their pain points or their you know top contact reasons, product might deeply understand one piece of the data. There aren't a lot of teams that are really looking across all of those vectors or even have access to all of them, frankly. Um, And so I think product marketing is in a unique position where we partner with so many different teams that we can get those insights from a lot of different places and start to bridge the gaps. And even though it might not be a new insight you're uncovering, you are saying, hey, I'm seeing this both across customer service, across our product data, across our survey data, and starting to, to synthesize those into really your core actionable insights that are founded and you know, validated by multiple channels and work streams. And I think that's how you can start to break into it. And for any one of those teams that you're working with, if you don't understand what their data or your insights are saying, they're generally happy to jump in and help explain the methodology behind it or the limitations of maybe their data set so that you can then be informed about, you know, is this a valid point to raise as a problem or are there a lot of caveats in our data that really means we can't rely on this to help make this decision? Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And last question here before we wrap up, you know, consumer product marketing, where do you think we're going in the next five years in the space? I think consumer product marketing is going to continue to grow in importance. I think as data-driven decision-making continues to win out and as technology improvements let us do more in this space, consumers have more and more choices. They're inundated with those on a daily basis. The marketing space is getting more and more crowded by the day. And so the relevant targeted messages are really going to be what wins and breaks through that. So I think that cross-functional teams are going to continue to really rely on these insights to help them figure out how can we be best targeted so that we are really breaking through. And product marketing is the team that I think is you know best positioned to help to help make that impact happen across the organization. And so I think the importance of the function will continue to grow and the value that product marketing can add to any organization will continue to grow. That's awesome. I am super pumped about the future of consumer product marketing. I think there's tons of B2B content in the space and I'm just super excited to get some more 
B2C content out there. So Nora, thank you so much for giving us a behind the scenes look at the launch and global expansion of Disney+. Plus. I know you are so busy, so I, I can't thank you enough for being on here. And I know that your team is growing and, and expanding. So if someone listening is interested, how do they get in touch with you? They can find me on LinkedIn. I'll do a product marketing plug for LinkedIn as well. Um. <laughs> And if anyone else needs a plug for ShareBird, Nora and I actually connected at a ShareBird networking event. So shameless plug for ShareBird. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. Nora, it has been wonderful to talk with you and we'll see you all next week. All right. Thanks for having me on. Great time. 